0: Welcome to the People on Purpose podcast. The real stories you'll hear today are from cool as fuck experts sharing their simple, helpful tools for you to apply practically to your life. I'm Emily Paulo. I'm a wellbeing leadership speaker, coach and social entrepreneur and I co founded Collective Potential, a human development company. Over the next six months, I'm building what I believe to be one of the biggest health movements ever staged in Oz. Now, it's a big call. I get it. But it's not just me. I'm gathering the people that I believe in their programs, their products, and services that are going to advance health in this country. It's desperately needed, they say. However, there are so many people who are sharing their lived experience, uh, that they're out there challenging the status quo, and they say that connection is the key. So, my social entrepreneurial side wants to bring in this guest today to kick off the podcast series. She believes in what I believe in, I believe in what she believes in. In fact, we're great friends, which will make this very funny and yet somewhat boring to some of you. But we both emphasise collaboration over self-promotion and it's the only way to advance the health in our country. Nicole, welcome. Nicole, I guess, has done, well, a lot at her age at 25. You know, I don't want to bring up your age, but let's be honest. I'm a 37-year-old. You are my older. I am old yep. compared to you.
1: Wise and um, <laughs> distinguished. Thank you.
0: Yep. Oh, we're going to make this a compliment circle before yeah, we yeah, kick yeah. off. great, a great. Quick acknowledgement,
1: great. open
0: the space. Every time I watch her speak, though, right, I lose my mind, and even recently she had the honour of doing a TEDx talk in Oxford, which I know we can get a little bit into. But she is a speaker, a unifier, which I love your description on your website, and a facilitator. She was the mental health commissioner for three terms. She has her own charity, Rogan Rouge. She's an advocate of the LGBTQ community. Uh-huh. Yeah, just thought just, I'd throw that just in there
1: because because I have a same sex because you have a same People sex partner. People do not to me often, and I knew that if for that? I,
0: I knew that if I said it, you you would say yeah, that.
1: Yeah, I just believe in one love, Em. we don't need to specify.
0: Which I think is important to have, to cover that today. <laughs> okay, and That's we right are there. here today in the Gold Coast, <laughs> which is her hometown. Um, and but I think I'll introduce you to this badass rebel in the way that I want these podcasts to go. I don't want to dictate what we're going to do. What do you want to talk about today, Nicole? If you could talk about anything.
1: Like what you did there, em. Thanks, babe. Really makes planning easier. Doesn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll keep the shape. I always do.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm only teasing. I love the opportunity to pick the topic because love is always going to win, really. Ooh, because it's love. so broad and there's so much within that. But I think it's really interesting. In your intro, you were um, you were talking about health. And why it's important to bring this message into health. And yeah, I do. one thing I do so much in my work is bring the message of love and compassion, not only generally as a message into health, but something I teach is compassion and love is a genuine strategy for healing. And Stunning. I think that that's a beautiful way to frame the beginnings of a conversation, especially because I made M jump on a Facebook live for 10 minutes before we started this podcast to yeah, put it out to the people, you guys. Yes. And what people were asking, how do we help um, someone that doesn't want help when they're struggling with their mental health? That was one of the questions. Another one of the questions was um, how to guide yourself back to authenticity Um, All of these sorts of questions, I feel, and I I would love to pull them up and sort of pick them apart at some point during the podcast too, but all of them to me can sort of be encapsulated by the understanding that love and love-based thinking and living from a space of love and seeing love as a state of vibration that we can live from and experience life from is a strategy to so many of these other Questions that people have.
0: And you know what I like about this? When you first um, told me that you were going to do the Love Out Loud tour and your book was called Love Out Loud, which if I can plug it, it's a Millennial's Guide to Enlightenment. Am I a millennial at thirty-seven? Yeah, yeah. You are well, I'm on Probably the cusp. On the cusp yeah. I'm on the cusp, but I like that. It is it is her you first might lose book. Who's
1: your elder If you go around <laughs> speaking that
0: term, respect your elder. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry,
1: sorry, getting too big for my boots.
0: But I think that uh, what I like about the people that I've come across in the last few years running workshops, love doesn't get spoken about. Yeah, even it's though like
1: confronting. in the
0: hippie world, is everyone's like love, mm. peace, and well being, and you yeah. know, but I think even when you told me, I was like, "Really, love," mm. um, which says a lot more about me than it does about.
1: You. Well, the world really. Okay. The
0: culture. Why did you choose? Why love?
1: For that exact reason, you know. I think as an experiential facilitator, M, you can appreciate that until the trigger arises in a space, you can't work on it. And Ooh, when say you, that again. When until a trigger arises in a space, yep. you can't actually work on the on the root. Cause of the problem. Ooh. So to stand as boldly for something as I do for love, it provokes people. It provokes people on many, many, many different levels, whether that's, you know, even um, the videographer I was working with to build um, the Love Out Loud online course Mm -hmm. said as he was editing my videos, he was just getting triggered the fuck out of because of his own aversions to love.
0: And when you say trigger, what do you mean by that? Because there's some people who listen to this that don't get that language. But I'll just keep doing that throughout
1: stuff. Yeah, 100%. So a trigger is um, when you have an emotional charge over something and that's because it's hitting a part of maybe your conscious mind but potentially your unconscious or your subconscious, that there's something in there that's really challenging a belief system that you have yep, and it, it creates a trigger and, a, and an emotional charge.
0: And sometimes it's people getting angry at you, yep. not talking to you, uh, you yeah. and yourself just shutting down. Withdrawal, like Withdrawal, yeah. okay. Many
1: different ways we can yep. experience So um, love triggers. is triggering,
0: ain't that the truth. Well, it
1: brings up everything that love is not. And I think that's a really good premise. When you are in a state of love, when you want to, um, have a conversation about love from a genuine space, an authentic space within yourself, it brings up everything that love isn't because it's like the light that we shine on the dark.
0: So if we're going to go down the path of shining light on the dark, Mm. can you give us a little bit of a backstory of how you came to this conclusion?
1: Definitely, walking my own journey, my own path out of the dark and understanding that, um, that that was possible. And I think this is something that so many people that are trapped in the dark um, can relate to. When you're in the dark, especially the darkest part of the dark, you just, it's so hard to fathom that there's a light at the end of that tunnel.
0: So much. I've had so many moments of that in my life. Mm. I see it, I get conversation, I have People coming to me every day about just this darkness they're feeling, mm. but there's something so sexy about the darkness. Oh
1: well, it's um definitely sensationalized, you know. And it's um, I think you know, there's actually chapter six in my book. I talk about um the yeah. creative's relationship with darkness.
0: Yeah, tell us about and that. I like this.
1: When, when you go, when you look throughout history and you look at our role models, so many of them have drawn inspiration from from darkness and pain and in a way like it makes a lot of sense and it's really beautiful because pain is the activator that helps us understand that we're alive. Fuck. I mean, pain, I'm alive. That's so inspiring. And, and through that pain, you can um, turn that pain into something beautiful. But when you look at that as a cultural narrative, that darkness is sexy and you sensationalize these experiences that are actually designed to help activate our growth, not for us to dwell in and, simmer in but actually acti- activate our growth so that we turn it into the light you know that's that's a dangerous thing that's a dangerous thing and I think this generation more than ever have been exposed to that when I was listening to a um a song compilation on YouTube um for 90s kids right So kids who grew up in the 90s and the songs were like You know, I'm a Barbie girl or, like, these songs that were just all about love and um, very, like, quite innocent in the scheme of things.
0: R&B was all about it, yep, Yep. 90s R&B.
1: And then, like, when you look at the cultural influences moving into, like, the 2000s and then 2010 onward, it just became so much about darkness and drugs and sex and which is you know not good or bad but we really got to look at that and be like how has that then influenced a generation of of people
0: and what are you seeing then
1: I think we definitely sensationalize darkness and um yeah I mean there's a lot I could say to that but especially people that I work with when darkness has been a hook to really um become known and be seen as creative, it sort of becomes an identity. And I think that it's part of not only our individual identities, it's a part of our cultural identity, that sense of, yeah, darkness and it manifests as all of these challenges.
0: Is this part of, I call it, um, and we both love rites of passage work, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's, look it up if you haven't ever investigated, um, these frameworks before. But, uh, Joseph Campbell talks about the call to adventure Mm. And I find that as he's talking about this mythological journey or this process that every, that's innate in human existence, that one of the stages that really kicks off a person's journey in life is their call to adventure. Yep. Um, even as you talk about darkness, I'm considering how much people are in, a lot of the time in darkness before they have their call to adventure. Totally.
1: It's, that's what it's meant to activate, I think, and... The, the framework that I was just mentioning in my book before is a spectrum between destructiveness and, and creativeness. Okay,
0: tell me and about that. And if you're not
1: creating, if you're not um, accepting that call to adventure, right, and really diving into that and, and making meaning from these things that have hurt you or um, sort of the pain that's defined you in the past to actually create and make that mean something and for that to not have been in vain, then the chances are you're being destructive because without that outlet, there's suppression.
0: So and example... And I would love to hear what your call to adventure was. Maybe there was a guy called Jimmy Steins, which you know. um, I've spent quite a lot of time He ran the Reach Foundation. He was an AFL footballer. He walked into my school when I was 17, I think it was. And um, he said to us, how do you want to be remembered?
1: Hmm.
0: And this is my whole year level. We're a bit ratty. Victoria. How old? uh, 17. Okay. And as I'm sitting there... My dad had died only a few years earlier. I was pretty dark. My mum was dying of cancer. Mm. And, you know, trigger warning for people out there. But it was um, this repression of, like, sexual abuse that started to mm. come up. It was really dark. Yeah. But I loved drugs and alcohol mm. more than myself at that period. Yeah. But when he walked in, he changed the trajectory of someone who was in... D- yes. Yeah. I was in darkness... And then I, you can go from that space of destructiveness
1: to actually create meaning. Yeah, he said from to us. Pain, yeah. yeah,
0: and it's still in the work that I do, and what makes us friends. And I love this conversation because it was, your problem is going to create an opportunity in your life. Absolutely. And I didn't know that then. Your
1: pain is equal to the um, the distance of opportunity. Is how I wrote it in the book.
0: Explain that the a bit The depth
1: more. of your pain is equal to the distance of opportunity.
0: Well, I did go on to run 10,000 workshops for over 300,000 young people. Bada and i got a boom. i have used to saying that out loud, but that was actually just generally... Some, somebody asked me not long ago, if you could have your parents back, what, what would you say to them and what would you do? Mm. And I remember at some point I stopped feeling very victim to the grief that I was naturally feeling in mm. my life. Um, but I was also... ...quite self-indulgent at that point of just letting my behaviour go nanas, right? Yeah. Spoken like a true 37-year-old taking responsibility for her life. However, so much love. So much <laughs> <laughs> emotional intelligence there. That, um, yeah, I said to them, actually, I don't think I could have them back now... ...knowing all of the, the change that I've been a part of um, in people's lives... ...because without that grief... I wouldn't have been able to understand the people I work with. Mm. And it's given me like a purpose.
1: How beautiful when you can finally land in gratitude for those experiences. But I just don't think someone can land in something as conscious and aware as gratitude for those experiences until they've made meaning from that pain. We're meaning makers. You know, we subscribe meaning to all things as human beings, whether that's good or bad. But as meaning makers, what I love people to understand is we have the power as meaning makers to make our pain mean something brilliant and and meaningful and significant that actually makes that pain not be in vain and for a reason and for a purpose, you know, that, that helps other people to draw upon those experiences. And as you take a step up the mountain, also put your hand down and reach and help someone
0: up with you. Which I love, but tell me, like, if, if there's people that in your life who you, they've gone through huge trauma or they're going through like the depths of depression, like why can't they hear that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, a, a lot
0: of people listening to this have friends and family. And you're like, they're we like, can just, all
1: relate to it on, on yeah. some level, right? And you look at stats: fifty percent of Aussies are going to battle mental illness. So it's not something that affects some of us; it's something that affects all of us. Um and Why, i can yeah. i can explain it on a purely like neurological level first and foremost. Please if that helps. go yeah. to town. So there's a phenomenon that happens in the brain, i'm sure you're aware of it, M. called cognitive dissonance, and that that's something that gets triggered in the brain psychologically when your belief systems
0: challenged. Yeah. So everyone is listening, think about when you've had something a challenging situation yeah. recently, okay?
1: Maybe um, let's give them a tangible example. Um, you oh, this is always really hard, S- specific examples. You um don't feel like you could ever be inspired by a motivational speaker and then you see a motivational speaker and they just totally blow your socks off.
0: Like Jim Steins? Yeah. Like you?
1: Yeah, right. So you um go into this state called cognitive dissonance because you believe this thing. Or another really basic one is you, be- you feel like you're totally unlovable and then... Someone comes into your life and they fall madly in love with you. Oh. And you go into this, I don't know, how beautiful. Still this waiting, state. just letting anyone out
0: there listening know. What's not... your number,
1: M? 04 <laughs> <0-4-0-3. laughs> <laughs> no, That's not what this is about. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. sorry. Cognitive focus, dissonance, focus. Cognitive, Cognitive dissonance. dissonance, yeah, yeah. Um, two things can happen when you're in this state. And the reason we go into this state is because the brain cannot be or believe two things at once. can't be in two places at once. It can't believe two things. Really? Two conflicting beliefs Okay.
0: Loving can't this. happen
1: because it actually affects when If you want to go really deep, please do deep dive. The fabrics in which you experience reality because our reality is held together by our solid belief system. So if you believe two conflicting things, your reality wobbles, we can't, it can't happen. So this is why belief systems are so powerful in this work. And if you guys have ever worked with a coach or heard speakers, the reason the beginning parts of those conversations are always, well, what are your belief systems about yourself? It's not a token thing. It's actually very significant to understand. So I need to explain the science to use this please. context. So two things can happen in this situation. The first thing is obviously, and the most common thing, for the reason that most people hate to be wrong and we have a lot of pride as human beings, we reject what's in front of us. That's the most common thing from my experience. We reject what's in front of us because it goes against our belief system. So take the romantic situation. As an example, we tell ourselves that's too good to be true. They have an agenda. They don't really love me for me. And we push them away because it's too difficult to alter.
0: Are you talking about my entire love life?
1: (laughs) Maybe I am. Okay, There's a second possibility. So this is a good thing to understand about dissonance. The second thing, some of you guys may have guessed it, seems like the obvious next thing that could happen, is you can accept the thing that's challenging your belief system and what I really encourage people to do is through that acceptance what happens you actually open you expand as a human being you become more open-minded you merge with the possibility that's greater than the one that you believed prior and if we can just understand that that reaction that trigger when your belief system's challenged is actually a normal response to a situation that's challenging your belief system your brain doesn't like to be wrong your brain's always trying to prove itself right so you've got to override that immediate response often to reject the thing and actually become in a practice open yourself into into a practice of accepting that so that you can expand that possibility and when I do this work with people and organizations quite often this is at the core of what needs to happen when I walk into a space and I say hey do you know it's actually possible to have a culture built around love and compassion. Okay, there's cognitive dissonance central, right? Everyone's like, no, nah, this person, we need to reject this idea because it's so fundamentally different to what I believe is possible and what currently exists within this organisation, this school, this community, whatever. But my challenge to them is what if you could just entertain that as a possibility and practise acceptance?
0: The beautiful thing about what you're saying One, it reminded me of, again, I said Jim Steins came into my school. Mm. I really didn't love myself. I didn't. Mm. Life was against me, taking all of that hatred, sadness, darkness. But what I like about what you're saying is that when I looked at Jim and he said, how do you want to be remembered? And I said, I actually want to make my mum proud before she dies. Mm. How's that cognitive dissonance? Explain that.
1: Well, it's, he connected you to something that was so meaningful to you. And to me, this is sort of the definition, the true definition of resilience. When you're connected to something that's that meaningful to you, it becomes a fuel and a power to challenge your own ego and your own pride. Mm. And instead of rejecting that thing, that's challenging your belief system, it, it gives you strength to draw upon to actually open up to the idea that it's possible because if someone walks into your life when you feel like you're not going anywhere and you're not capable of anything and they say to you, like Jim did to you, you know, you can actually do something with your life, you can make a difference, I see this in you, I acknowledge this thing in you that you don't even think exists in yourself. He said if to you me, you've
0: got potential, which I was a bit of a numb and said, what does that mean? <laughs>
1: right, he saw this thing in you, he acknowledged that. Maybe it wasn't enough for you to step into that. Maybe you didn't have enough self-love to cultivate, accepting that as a possibility. But for you to really draw on, I want to make my mum proud. That's such a strong motivation to step out of yourself and actually into a meaning that's greater than you.
0: And this brings me back to, and I'll put the links on underneath um, the podcast your TED talk, it was like life hacks with love. Mm. And the first one um, that you talk about, the life hack was acknowledgement means transformation equals transformation. Yeah. So me acknowledging the purpose behind me, having a greater life of my mum being proud of me before she passed away from Mm. cancer was enough for me to transform.
1: Definitely. Because the acknowledgement you can't transform. You're saying
0: that's love, right?
1: I think you can. It's an act of love. To be able to acknowledge, because what does acknowledgement truly mean? To acknowledge something, you have to fully be present with it. And to me, when you're in love, right, and that could be in love, not just with the person, but with, you know, I was in love with writing. I was so present. When I would sit down to write, I would get six hours would pass and I didn't even drink a glass of water. I was so in it, right, that ability to be so present.
0: Brilliant. And you can tell all the way through the book.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it means a lot. But that ability to be present is what's required to experience acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is sincere. It's not flippant. It's not, oh, you look nice today. That's not acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is, M. I I just wanted to say how much I love how committed you are to this message and how you, irrespective of all the knocks you go through, you find a way to brush yourself off and continue to do it and continue to grow and continue to build yourself.
0: Thank you. I feel really, really (laughs) seen. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) opportunity you know for people to come together in something that's so meaningful to me and I just want to acknowledge you for that because that's such a profound gift you know and I think looking at acknowledgement in its nature and why it's transformative so many people don't understand what acknowledgement really is and how it is a um a version of love you know, And the reason it creates transformation is because until we can look at something dead in the eye, I think I start the chapter on acknowledgement by saying only a crazy person would look their shit in the eye. And um, deal with it anyway, irrespective of all of the pain and the hardship and the grief and the acceptance that goes alongside needing to do that. But only then can we create a different possibility for ourselves. We can't run away from things and expect change to happen.
0: Which I love listening to you. Like I swear I've taken six-year-olds to speak to, watch Nicole speak, a 40-year-old and I've had an 18-year-old and they're just like, how does she speak like that? (laughs) You know, like... I think that so many people listening to this, it's so simplistic mm. to acknowledge can create transformation. Like that's awareness, right? Yes. Self-awareness.
1: I actually, I think um, I, I said this um, towards the end of the last podcast we did and I, I explained the, um, the science behind why I believe acknowledgement and awareness actually shifts and changes behaviour. Share, share, share. It's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a scientific um, reality, right? When you observe an atom through the observation of an atom, its behavior changes purely through observation. So on a scientific level, you know, when you break down atoms and protons, the thing that changes its behavior is observation. So relate that back to our condition as human beings, the human condition. When we can observe, which is what acknowledgement is, to look at dead in the eye, fully observe and acknowledge it and not make that pain want us to sort of run in a a different direction, but actually stand with it, through that acknowledgement, it naturally shifts. It naturally changes. When we experience these emotions, this darkness, all it wants from us is for us to just acknowledge it. That's why it hurts so badly. That's why you're still in this grief. You know, when you go through heartbreak, I was in a period of heartbreak when I wrote this book and to the point where I dreaded, going out to lunch with friends because I knew that I was going to feel lonely in their company because I was so fucking heartbroken and I dreaded having to go home by myself afterwards and revisit that grief. But what I, the, the healing process for me was to really actually sit with that grief, to acknowledge that grief, to observe that grief and through standing with it, standing with it, standing with it, standing with it, looking at it, not avoiding it, slowly but surely it started to change into something that was,
0: you know, beautiful and and healing and wisdom. Yeah. And you know, I love this conversation because when I sit one-on-one with people coaching them or in the workshop, I have this kind of joke, I think you've probably heard it before, where I go, yummy, yummy, (laughs) to the emotion that's sitting behind that. Like people get so stuck in the fear of, oh, my God, you're seeing me in my most vulnerable or they don't mention, which is part of the mental health issues that they say, Are going to hit record whatever anyway we'll get back to that later but they they reject the whole possibility of that there's so much love in the darkness
1: yes well it's actually love is in the center of the darkness and that's why you know the yin and yang symbol and you've got the, the dark spot in the white and then the white spot in the dark and when you go to the but in the middle of the dark mm. that's you find the light yes. and, and vice versa because they they need to coexist, but what I would love people to understand is you don 't always have to go to the the middle of the darkness in no, order to discover don't. the light and you know i think' it's, it's important that we have experiences of that as human beings because we pain is important. You know, it's not cool to sensationalize it and it's not cool to celebritize it. Of course not. But it's cool to understand its nature and how important it is. I was watching a TED talk the other day and the way that he describes suffering and pain was um, the experience of, of a cosmic right sizing. And I was like, yes, brother, that's what it is. It humbles you. Through that humility, you realize your insignificance, you bow to you know, your experiences and you you're prepared to acknowledge and that's a beautiful thing. But to constantly have to go to that extremity to realise the 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 love and to realise the light, we have a pattern and a habit of that, I think, in our culture. And to realize that we are that, we don't have to be so extreme to continually realize that is important. Preach.
0: Amen. <laughs> I totally agree. Because there is, it's like acknowledging the darkness. I love this conversation. But don't, we don't always have to go to that point to transform. Mm. You said in your TED talk that you had, was it three, four points of your life hacks, I should say. Yeah. How many were there in the TED talk? The TED, the TED talk, I think there were
1: four. Yeah, there were four. There's way more in the book, but I did acknowledgement equals transformation. Um, I need to, I should remember this. I did the, um, the differences in, um, mindset. So love-based thinking, fear-based thinking. And I did, um, life is like asking, reframing the question, what can I get from life to what can I give to life Awesome. is a massive hack because Tony Robbins talks about it a lot. Pain and suffering only exists within the self. People often ask me, and it's something that actually makes me really emotional. This, this thing that people sort of ask me. And I've been getting it more and more, I think, as I become more congruent in my message and probably since I've been as boldly talking about love as I have been in the last year or so, people come up to me almost with like a, were you really that sick for you to be where you are now? Like it challenges their belief system. Like, were you really that fucked
0: up? Can you give us context? What do you mean by sick?
1: Oh, so I battled with um anorexia during my teenage years, which um I'm not sure how many people are sort of familiar with how severe the nature of anorexia is, but not only is it a mental health problem, it's impacting every, you know, part of your health, so especially your physical health. So it's just a it's a battle on so many levels to overcome that. And for me I really
0: I can imagine it's monumentally huge, actually. I'm gonna give it some acknowledgement. Mm. And so, what do you think about when people say, well, "Are you? Were you really that sick?" What do What do you mean?
1: It's like they can't um, fathom that I could be the person I am. And, and often what got people out of it. say, yeah, what people say to me is, "How are you so comfortable in yourself? How are you so okay with oh, yourself? This is so true. How How do you love yourself so much? How are you? You know, how do you?" How are you so accepting of your sexuality? If you were that judgmental towards yourself, how is this who you are today? And it just the mind, I can see their mind boggling at that. Mm. But,
0: yeah. Well, I'm jumping all over over this because I recently have had conversations where I meet people who have got mood disorders or some kind of diagnosis of borderline personality disorders mm. and I struggle to understand that And then I was having a conversation with her, and I explained my traumatic life experiences that have left me in darkness, mm. but I had this sense where I just looked at her and i said she goes you are very functional for somebody I'm surprised that you <laughs> yeah. haven't were you really that exactly. in pain,
1: and you don 't know what it's like, and she's what I get. Yeah. yeah, and this you is don't know what this it's is like. why
0: I can almost relate because mm. I was like. Do you know Bitch, what... A, please. <laughs> she goes, you, you're very functioning. I said, there is no difference between me and you at yeah. that period. But I just didn't go through the medical institutions like you did. I had... I didn't tell myself that same story. Yeah. I, even, I understand what she's saying. Yeah. But I couldn't help but think you to myself... You can relate. You can come out of this, I of swear. Because you, you see can. that. You see that in someone.
1: You know, I, there's a few things I want to say to this. The first is... When you've walked the path, you're able to then see the possibility and the divinity in another person. And that's an amazing gift because when you can see that in another person, you hold the space for them to be able to walk towards that in their own right.
0: And I call that in when I'm facilitating, you stand in innocence. So when Mm. she was asking me these questions, I didn't jump on it. It was just part of what I was yeah looking at her and perceiving, and I just stood in innocence because I remember what it felt like to not believe it. Yeah, that's it. It's the dissonance,
1: it's the cognitive. In fact, I was at a forum yesterday and I was speaking to. It was a very intense conversation. Great conversation. It was a mother of a young person that self-harmed and had substance abuse issues. Okay. And she, I gave my um, sort of perspective and I said, you know, as, as controversial as this is to say, we cannot fix someone and we can't save someone, but the more we are um, non-judgmental and non-violent and come from a space of love, we only create space of healing for that person and that's the greatest service, the greatest gift we can give. And the resistance, we got there in the end to so this beautiful connection, but one of the first things she jumped on was, well, you know, when you, the, um, when you look at the type of personality that suffers from anorexia, they're generally very intelligent, very high-performing, perfectionist. Not everyone has those characteristics. And I just said, look, with all due respect, anorexia has a 40% mortality rate. It's the highest cause of death in any psychiatric disorder. And it kills more people in Australia every year than Mm leukaemia. So you don't understand what it was like in my mania. You don't understand what it was like when I was purging 30 times a day. And you don't understand the journey I've walked to be where I am today as someone that's seemingly put together, who can be very articulate and confident in who I am. But what I say when I speak is it comes from a place of so much understanding. And I'm not dismissing where your young person is at. I'm highlighting that this is a possibility for them and the one thing that I've learned more than anything is the more love that surrounds an individual, the less they feel a need to hold on to their story of pain and you just have to keep loving them and loving them and loving them and they'll push and they'll push and they'll push but if you keep loving them, you're constantly reminding them that they don't need that pain, that they can be defined by something else, that that isn't the best way for them to live out their story and their life.
0: And I get emotional when I hear you say that because um, I get that feeling, you know, I get that sense of, oh, if you're, if you believe that, then they will be, they'll get away with it. Hmm. They'll live it out. Exactly. So see the, the divinity in them,
1: hold them to a different possibility and you have to let go of the idea that they need to be saved because that makes them, that will always make them question whether or not they can do it on their own, which is the most disempowering place for someone that's already really fucked up in the head to feel like they're not capable of making their own choices. And it's something that's so hard, especially for parents to understand. I use the example of if there was someone standing on a building about to jump, right? And you, were, if you ran up to them with high amounts of stress, high amounts of anxiety, high amounts of irrationality in your demeanour, the chances of them jumping are just going to skyrocket. You can't stop them from jumping, but what you can do is approach them with calmness, with non-judgment. You can say, I understand that this is a choice that you're wanting to make yes, right now. Yes, I love this. Before you choose yes. that, this is a different possibility and you can loudly promote that possibility for that person with so much love, but respect that they're sovereign. We have to respect someone else's sovereignty. We have to. It's not a healing pathway without understanding that that person has an innate intelligence, their own intelligence, and it's so righteous. I said this in the same speech um, yesterday. It is so righteous and you need to take a look at your level of arrogance if you believe you know what's best for someone else.
0: Which you were for three terms, which is how many years is the Mental, Mental health, health Commissioner? Health years, yeah. What you my assumption is that you would have ruffled a few feathers amongst the mental health world.
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: <laughs> yeah, with that loving out loud persona. <laughs> loving out loudness, <laughs> You know what it reminds me of? I recently um, uh, went around running a, I asked, let's go motorhomes. Yeah. Totally going to give them a plug. <laughs> Can I please have a motorhome? Because I feel like I need to go out and find out what it's like to be an Australian and where the gaps in our health system are. And I didn't realise, supposedly, it's like social research. and um, <laughs> But I was supposedly. like... Supposedly. Supposedly, <laughs> I just want to get out there because I had this urge inside me. But you know that because you travelled the country for two years and hit mm. 300 communities, mm-hmm. ran workshops for over 250,000 people, right?
1: Well, yeah, have done. Have done, have done, have done
0: the past. Yeah. And here I am being like, i totally with Nicole on this. I'm going to need to get out there. So I, I go down the road and I'm in a little small town called Bendigo. Yep. And cutting this down, trying to make it as short as possible because it went on for three days. Yep. So I'm going to 30-second bite.
1: The visit to Bendigo.
0: The visit to Bendigo went on for three days because this young girl, as I'm on the street corner of Bendigo, just happened to be out on this little road trip again. If we're talking about loving out loud, there's some serious spirituality... ...needed to be discussed amongst (laughs) the mental health world. But here I am, by some chance, pulled over to get my Melbourne coffee addiction sorted. Standing there drinking my coffee and I hear this girl screaming... ...oh, I can't do it anymore. He's taken everything. And she tries to throw herself in front of the car. And everyone on the street's frozen. Yep. And...
1: So much to say this story Yes, already.
0: and so I'm like, whoa, what? And you can feel yeah. it, like full frozen in the street. People are trying to stop her mm. from throwing herself into the next car. Mm. But of course, with 21 years of experience with working mm. with people's emotions, Don't
1: put pressure on the situation.
0: I walk out just like mm. what you're saying, yeah. and I go to this girl who's trying to kill herself, like your example. Mm. And I looked at her and I go, "Hey, babe, yeah, you're allowed." and she looks at me locks eyes you see me and she goes am i and i feel so oh. emotional when i think of it she goes he's taking everything i can't do anything i said just come off the road babe just come off the road and everyone's like like who was this girl and then like the, we call the police and i mm. say to her okay in a year's time, where do you want to be? Like, I oh, want you to tell me where would you be. Give me, give me a word. Tell you know, I'm mm-hmm. really. She's in manic, like she's yeah. freaking out. It's beyond what anyone could even manage, even myself. Yeah. And she goes, I just want to be free on a playground with my children, and that fell into oh, place because I saw a it's so divinity, human, right? Isn't
1: it? it's so human, and I said, tell me it's where weird. you could be.
0: And so then the police come and they were great because like the mental health unit... ...then the ambulance, they take her to the hospital, she gets le- released straight away... ...and at this point I give my card to them and say, look, if, if you need her... ...if she needs help, you know, call me up. Within 20 minutes they released her because they had, didn't have any room... ...for someone who just tried to kill himself. She gets in the let's go motorhome, <sighs> and she looks at me and she goes... Who are you? Oh, my God, amazing. And she looks at the motorhome, which is a luxury motorhome, right, yeah. and goes, what is going on? And then she says, are you an angel? <laughs> <laughs> you're an angel. <laughs> and we scene. start laughing. But i that's what you're talking yes.
1: about. Yes, yes. And. Uh, It's like that story just speaks exactly to the message to acknowledge, to acknowledge that person and their sovereignty and what they're feeling in that moment because that hesitation, what it communicates, that hesitation from people, stop, 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 no, no, don't do that, is what you're experiencing is wrong.
0: You're allowed. Yeah. I say it to everyone every day, every workshop. You're allowed now. Say it. I'm allowed. I'm Everyone's allowed. everyone listening. I'm yep. allowed. I, say feel like, loud in the car. I feel like I feel like it's allowed. a royal royal wedding, and I'm yes. the preacher going right, on for too I'm long. The Reverend, yes. The Reverend, yes. the
1: Sister Act. Ah, uh, just meant to be booked for three minutes, and then sixteen minutes later. What a legend, though. He's allowed.
0: Did you love that?
1: I loved it. Because your message of your book is love out loud. That was totally, you know how many messages I got from people being like, the reverend is loving out loud hard. (laughs) But that's it. Like just for a minute in those situations, if you really want to help someone in their darkness, stop believing you know what's best for them. Stop thinking that. You have to trust that they have an intelligence that knows what's best for them. Every single part of our makeup as a human being is designed to evolve everything, evolve and heal. So when you can trust that, all you have to do when someone's in pain, they're in psychosis, they're suicidal, they're in mania, you have to keep the space safe for their intelligence to speak to them. Keep the space safe. That means don't put them in a situation that makes them feel unsafe. If they don't fucking like the doctor they're going to, don't be like, you don't know what's best for you. You have to go and see that doctor because they can help you. Fucking no, they don't. If they don't feel safe in that, don't put them into a situation where they're going to question their intelligence. They're going to question their intuition. It's not the right thing to do. It's like I liken it to a female giving birth, right? Right? As someone that's giving birth, you have the people around you, maybe your parents or your, you know, your partner, you have the midwives, you have this team around you that are helping you with the space. They're creating ambiance, they're making sure that you're okay, they're getting you water, they're you know, getting your epidural if that's what you need, whatever it is. And they can support you and support you and support you and support you. But when it comes to the, um, you being fully dilated, what do you have to do? You have to push, right? No one can push for you. No one can do that for you. That's
0: that human will.
1: Yes. That's that. And that exists, you dear listener, inside of you. And when you're birthing yourself through darkness, you can have that support. Please ask for that support. Don't be afraid to ask for that support. A woman in labour isn't afraid to ask for that support. They know it's crucial. But also understand that that support is there to bring you comfort and safety and wisdom, but at the end of the day, you have to push that baby out. You have to push that new version of yourself through that darkness and into the light.
0: Which I love, because let's let's get practical now. Like when that um, blessed blessed soul said to me, "You've been very functional in your um, mental in mental health issues." Um, I said to him, "Do you know what I go through every day? I wake up, I do an affirmation." Mm. I have a very clear desire that is backed by my faith or my will hmm. or and, dis- and I, I practice that. I disciplined every day. Yeah. I get up, I have a shower, I wash everyone's shit off me because, you know, some days I do take on the other stuff. Maybe it's not my issue. Hmm. I go for walks, I have a smoothie, I do apple cider vinegar. Hmm. Like I go through at least 25 rituals a in a ritual, day yeah. that I have implanted into my life that keeps my self sane. Yeah. And in love. Mm. And I felt like when I was really pushing myself the other day, I wasn't forgiving myself. Mm. And I caught myself and I was like, oh, I'm being really tough. I forgive myself on every level and every way. Mm. And so I know that that forgiveness creates a break in my belief about myself and brings Mm. me back to my love. And I don't think practically I need to teach people just how to forgive yourself. But I actually have to teach them the reason I'm doing these Mm. rituals every day so that I build that. my capacity to find my love within me 100%. when I'm out of it which is my true nature mm-hmm. right and I've learned that now so they're practical things I do to keep myself in what you write about all through the book mm. a simple place of love yeah what are some what are like practical tools you give people as we're wrapping up here
1: definitely I think um, you know to be to speak shortly to what you just said creating um Ritual, discipline rituals is, you know, a, a definite thing that you should look at, check out your morning ritual, what are you doing um, at sunrise and sunset as an example, cool. but even a step beyond that, and this is a massive part of my practice, Please is, do. is awareness in the moment, so Start to practice when you're getting triggered, as we discussed at the beginning of the podcast. Great,
0: great, great How one.
1: are you using that? This is a great reframe, a little hack. How are you using that as an opportunity for your own awareness and growth? Because here's the thing, right? And this is the thing that's not often taught in meditation. Meditation, the gift in meditation is not the, star, the silence and the stillness. A gift in meditation is actually the thing that takes you away from the stillness and the silence because when you're triggered and you're taken away from that, it's like a rep at the gym. As soon as you're taken away from it, you have an opportunity to strengthen your ability to return to the stillness and the silence. So in life, anything that's taking you away from that state of love, and this is why it's important, guys, to have a morning ritual because if you ground yourself in your day in love, then there's a starting point. I feel like that's such a deeply ingrained ground zero for me that even on days i don't do that that's still my ground zero but do it for 30 days do your ritual right this is
0: exactly what i'm and and every every, every podcast day. with is what are you going to do for 30 days yeah and even for those of you who go oh i can't all i need is 7 days of you going yeah what would, what should they do from your perspective? So what could th- they do? So,
1: yep, for, to, to be in the state of love and to live through this philosophy and use this as a strategy in oh, your own life. Cool, cool. Start your day, I'm seriously only saying five, ten minutes, even if it's before you check your phone and you're still lying in bed, if it's as simple as this, become conscious. Place your awareness and acknowledge the love that exists inside of you. Set that intention. Meditate on it. Someone actually asked that in the live. How do you meditate on love? Hold love in your awareness. Maybe that's not um, elaborate enough of an explanation for you, but that is it. Hold love in your awareness. Feel it through every part of your body. Feel it in your heart. Send love to the people that you're grateful for. Send love love to the parts of you that are in pain, that is meditating on love. Once you do that in the morning, you've set the precedent, right? You've got a precedent in which to return back to as you get triggered throughout your day and use those moments in your day, something as simple as a coworker, you know, like walking past you and not acknowledging you or um, you're stressed about a report that's overdue or, you know, whatever the thing is, The reframe is how do I use this opportunity that's taking me away from love and triggering me away from love as an opportunity to strengthen my love? Because growth is when in these moments that trigger you, you can be in the same moment and the same experience and not be triggered. That's how you know your capacity to love has deepened.
0: Oh, God, if people are doing that every day, I really welcome that. Like, you know what I love about this too is... Um, Or sorry, no, not what I love about it. You know what I like about you? I have a tradition as I finish up programs or people, even team meetings, I say, you know what I like about you? I like the wisdom that you have for the age you are, right? Which is such a bullshit statement. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, wisdom to me is when you use your head, your mind, your analytical self, and you use your heart, which is based in values, and you put the two of them together. Not get out of your head, get into your heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, the two together mm-hmm. means wisdom, and that's mm-hmm. what I love about what I like about you. And mm-hmm. I really suggest that if anyone has loved what Nicole's saying, you can go to her website. I'll put the link below. But her love and uh, well, her <laughs> love out loud online course. You know, I really think it's going to be pretty unique, and it's designed to shift your mindset.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Learn really to love quick out- and easy yeah. two
1: minute daily videos. That's it. If you're at a loss actually for a morning ritual, do the course. Yeah. It's nine weeks, two-minute videos in the morning.
0: And think about it. You know, she's after seven years of working in mental health sector, listening to stories of 250,000 Australians, you know, it is interactive. I know that it would be so fun and I think the process that really simplifies Mm. will enable people to create change in their life. So check it out. It's on her website. The link's probably below. Hopefully I've done that. Of course I have. (laughs) But you can also get... The first module... V- uh, yeah, the first ten videos yeah, are free. go check it out. Um, That's not some
1: bullshit tactic either. Literally go and trial it out. Yeah. Do it for ten days. Watch the videos. You can watch them consecutively if you really want because they're all available for you. But... um,
0: And it's at this point, I just want to say, um, as people check out her website, the young girl, you know, she was about 22, that was on the corner of um, Bendigo Street, mm-hmm. um... The beautiful thing about her is she, after getting heaps of support from me... Mm. ...and she's now back with her kids. And sure there's been a really hard journey that she's gone on. But Mm. she looked at me and I said, I can't be on every corner, right? Mm. So what do you think I represent on that corner? In a Mm. motorhome that I had sponsorship from. Mm. And she said, you represent people that care. And so I just want to thank you, Nicole, for starting off the first podcast because on July 1st we are launching um, a project that everybody who cares in the world, whether you're a mother, a father who cares about their kids or whether you are a change maker, it doesn't really matter. We're inviting people to join this campaign and you're going to have an opportunity to get out there and care about people. So, Nicole, you epitomise that statement and... I just like you. I really like you Not only are you good looking (laughs) but you're real funny and stuff and you're as deep as fuck.
1: I get told that a lot actually. Mm. Mm.
0: So I hope that's been helpful. (laughs) This is what the People on Purpose um, podcast is about. Go to www.collectivepotential.com.au and join the campaign.
1: You're a legend. um, Support this mission. Share this. Share this mission. Support it. Support them. Toodles. See ya.